supposed to be in James chapter 2 this morning, but um, we're not going to be in James chapter 2 this morning. I want to start at the beginning of James um, and just read it together. Uh, let, me, let me pray and ask for some, uh, some wisdom and, and presence of the Spirit. God, I thank you this morning for the fact that you are sovereign and you are good and you are holy and perfect, and God, I, I trust you, and uh, I ask now that you would give wisdom as we navigate through what it is that you are, uh, you're saying to us this morning. Uh, God, I love you, and, uh, and I trust you, and um, I give these moments over to you to do with as you will. Um, thank you for Jesus. It's in his name, amen. Um, so, uh, supposed to be talking about James chapter two this morning and maybe eventually, but, um, uh, so I, I, I think, I don't know, let me just, hopefully God ordained, uh, ramble for a second. Um, uh, so we came out of a really good season, right? The, the baptism celebration was really cool, really fun, really great to watch um, people called into the kingdom and, and God to, to do a lot and looking at two dudes right there that we baptized. Um, uh, it was great. And it was a, a celebration. It was worthy of celebration. It was good. It was all those things. And um, I interacted with a couple of, more than a couple, several different pastors. Hey man, how's it going? How's things at North Church? And I got to talk about these baptisms and, and how God had, you know, called us on mission and, and people had responded and, and are on mission and, and I got to talk about those things and um, uh, now we, we find ourselves with a lot of, or I, I find myself with a lot of brokenness surrounding um, and uh, so that's, that's a piece and then like here's Here's the truth. Be be careful um, how you you approach and deal with God. Um, about a year ago, the the four elders were were thinking and talking about next steps, next direction, and so we kind of settled on the book of James to to study James uh, from the understanding that we wanted to to preach through. Um, like where obedience fits into this gospel-centered life that he's called us to and that, that gospel-centered message that, that we've been proclaiming for almost eight years and, and how that informs and, and predicts our obedience. And so we, we, okay, let's do that. Let's talk about James because it really lands on obedience and, and talks about how your faith and how that understanding of the gospel kind of presses in and informs the way that we're called to behave. Um, and then as we studied it a little bit deeper, we kind of came to the, this, this idea of, of faith. And we've, we've, you know, this sermon series is just called James Faith and, and how faith forms and shapes us. And, and you've, hopefully you've picked up on that in the first uh, three messages that, that we've had. Um, but here's the be careful part. Um, when, you, when you press into to God and when you when you lay a hold of him I, I think that um, 
Like, be careful what you wish for. When you wish for intimacy with God, most of the time, that comes with some stuff that's going to make you cry. Um, and I'm like, I can't look at a face right now without thinking about what's making you cry. Because um, it's everywhere. Um, but, like, do we really believe that God is who he says he is? Do we really believe that he'll do what he says he will do? And do we really believe that I am who he says I am? Because if we proclaim that, if, if, we, if, if I stand in front of you with a microphone and say that to you and urge you to believe those things, we're all going to get tested in the middle of that. And so be careful because it comes as, as, it shouldn't come as a surprise, although it does come as a surprise to me today. I'm completely caught off guard. But God is saying, are you sure? Um, so I want to, at least for a part of the time, and, and I have no idea where, where we'll wind up uh, this morning. Um, so give me a little latitude, please. Um, a little leash. Um, but in the early days of the church, what James wrote this, this letter for, the purpose, its intended purpose, was that in churches scattered throughout the region, they would read this letter from word one to the, to the last period in one setting. Um, so uh, I think at least for, let's just, let's, let's read the book of James together. Is that okay with you guys? I have the mic, so unless somebody's going to tackle me, it's going to have to be okay. Um, and maybe I, I might stop on occasion to speak, but I'll try and not. Uh, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. 
For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. But blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought forth he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone, every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his face in a mirror. For he goes away, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this, to visit the widow's and orphans in their affliction, and to keep one's self unstained from the world. <clears throat> My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing, and you say, you sit here in a good place, while you, sit, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you And the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name which you have been called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin 
and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. If you do not commit murder, adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Uh, I think I want to stop here and comment on a couple of things. Um, I want to pray again. Is that all right? Again, I have the mic, so tackle me if it's not. God, I thank you for Jesus. Uh, I thank you for the words of your child and prophet, James, as they speak to us. God, I thank you as, as I read that, you brought to mind instances of triumph over trial. Even in this room, in this place, in this moment, God, there are instances of triumph over trial because you have produced steadfastness in us. God, I pray that you would give us a a huge dose of faith this morning, God. You are a good Father and a good God. In Christ's name, amen. So I'm I'm, I'm talking to a few of you specifically. Um, Do you count it joy when you're facing this trial that you're facing? I'm trying to subtly make eye contact with people and not give stuff away. Because this trial that you're in the middle of or this trial that you're about to enter that you have no idea about yet, it's there for a purpose and that purpose is to test your faith, to get you to question yourself, do I really believe that God is who he says he is? And that's going to produce steadfastness in you. And when that steadfastness has its full effect, you will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Like the, the tears that have, that have been shed this morning in me and Kathleen and Jessica and, and others, those are just the people that I know. Like in the midst of that, God is, God is orchestrating. God who who spoke the world into existence, is orchestrating in your heart and in your life and in your soul and in your spirit. And for that, we ought to be excited. But there's a a real present reality, right? But James has something to say. If you lack wisdom, ask God and he'll give generously. And when you ask have faith when you ask. If you don't have faith when you ask, you're a double-minded man. 
And I'm like, as I'm back there, you guys are singing and I'm, I'm back there praying and, and I'm, I'm wrestling with the fact that I am at present a double-minded man. But God is so good. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Like I'm, I'm back there after the call to worship. I'm back there thinking, praying, crying, wondering, trying to listen to God. And, and, and Norm walks back there. Dude, what's going on? How can I, how can I pray? What, what's, like what's happening? And I kind of share a little bit with him. And it's like the community that God has called us into. Like Norm, who was baptized like a month ago, investing in a pastor. God has called us into this because we're, it, it, it's vital for us to engage one another, to, to share in trial with one another because there's going to come a time when you're under trial and you are acting like a double-minded man when you need the church to come alongside of you and pour courage in you and remind you the truth of what Scripture says to you. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. I remember talking about that. I'm not really sure what that phrase means, but I think it's good. If God's giving you a crown of life, that's probably really good. Right? Can we assume that together? Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, but each person is tempted. He is lured away and enticed by his own desire, and then desire when it's conceived gives birth to sin, and when sin and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. There is evil and enticements in this world that bring us to a place where we sin and fail, but God has overcome. And James's message, and I think his message for us today in this moment, in this season, is, is starting in verse 19. Know this, beloved brothers. And he gives a command. And put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive with a humility the word of God that, that he is speaking to you. Read the scriptures and allow it to do its job. Do we... Come to Scripture with this understanding that it is active and has a job to do. Like this isn't some book. These aren't, these aren't printed words on a page. This is a living, breathing organism that changes our hearts and our souls and brings life to us. Do we, do we believe that? Do we treasure this gift that is the Scriptures? Like no. Not all the time, but God brings a trial into your life so that you might open your eyes and pay attention to the fact that he's got something profound to speak to you. Look, verse, verse 12, the second half, receive with meekness the implanted word. Do you know that it's like implanted in you and it's able to save your souls, to bring about life in you. 
And our response to that is to be doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving ourselves. If we sit and hear this and experience this, this presence of the Father and this implanted word of God and we smile and nod and go out and are not changed, we're deceiving ourselves. Skip down to verse or chapter 2, and I'll try and wrap us up this morning with a, a little bit of what I had to say this morning. Um, we have a command that appears in verse 1 of chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality among you as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the command, and then he tells a story about a, a poor man and a rich man. We've, we've seen it before. We, we give the rich man good stuff. We give the poor man, you sit over there. You sit at my feet. You're, you're not worthy. And this word partiality just means to judge someone based on appearances. And I, like, I, I think that's important because it's a command of God. Don't show partiality. But what he gets to later on, I think, is, is the philosophy, the gospel behind the story. Um, and, and ultimately, it gets down to this. We do not show favoritism because Jesus told us not to. And that is the path to deeper relationship with him. And relationship with him is glorious. All right, I, I just jumped around quite a bit there. Let me see if we can draw this back in. He's given us commands all throughout the book of James. And what he says in the middle of those, let's, let's just read the, the first 13 verses. Maybe that would be a good idea. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man is wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Okay, this partiality word, I'm going to judge the exterior. I'm going to do anti-gospel to people. What would, how would we have been judged by Jesus if we had been judged according to our outward appearance? And I'm not talking physical. I'm talking about the stuff that we do. Where would, what do we deserve from Jesus, from a judgment perspective, if he only judges us for the things that we do? The answer is death, hell, banishment, separation from him. So we are to judge people as Jesus has judged us. which is to say, apply the gospel. And back up to, to verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith. So don't judge people as you hold faith. So it's our faith that brings us to a place. We all gather at the foot of the cross as a beggar. This is what the faith means. Show no partiality as you hold the faith. We're gathering at the foot of the cross as beggars, just like everybody else. And there are no judgments proclaimed at the foot of the cross among those beggars. 
You say, I believe you, God, and I place my faith in you, and that motivates me to act. Because, look at the the last words, the last phrase of verse 1 of chapter 2. He is the Lord of glory. We, we we, We see the command, don't show partiality, because of your faith, and we miss that part. But that's that's as important a part as there is in the entire book of the entire scriptures. Jesus is the Lord of glory. And that phrase means we behold this magnificence, this let's get our thesaurus out and think about magnificence and glory and perfection and wonder and majesty and, and think about looking over the edge of the Grand Canyon and seeing the beauty that's there. Or, or looking at a, uh, at a, at a mountaintop and, and seeing, or standing at a mountaintop and seeing the glory and the majesty and the wonder and the perfection and the beauty to behold all that this world can offer to us from a, from a beauty poetic standpoint. This is glory. Jesus is the Lord of glory. That means he's in charge of it. Jesus is in charge of all of this majesty, this wonder, this excitement, this beauty, this perfection, these things that our hearts long for. Right? Your hearts, all this brokenness that's here, that's real for us, is because our hearts are longing for something that we can't find here. And when we realize that we can't find this here, we sink in our brokenness or we seek to, to receive it from someplace else, someplace not as good, someplace that's not the Lord of glory. But Jesus is the Lord of glory, and the path that he's given to us is here. Here's these list of things that I would like for you to do, because when you do them, you'll see that I'm the Lord of glory, and you'll see that I can completely satisfy everything that you long for. And this is the truth that James is intending to proclaim. And we go around this earth and we, we bump into our desires, we bump into our brokenness, we bump into brokenness of, of, of marriages, of, of sexuality, of, uh, of, of desires for, for material wealth and possessions and things. And we bump into all of those things and we wonder what's happening What Jesus is doing there is trying to convince us or show us that what we pursue and the things that we place our trust and faith in, if they are not him, they will fail every time. And so in the middle of that, when our worlds crumble to the ground, we're left with a choice. Do we wallow there in our brokenness as trying to pursue the created instead of trying to pursue the creator who wants and is able to give us all that we need to, pers- to, to satisfy ourselves and our hearts? So we come to this, this conclusion here. We do not show favoritism or insert, we do not sin because Jesus told us not to like this is like I need to go back there and share this with with the third graders we don't sin because Jesus told us not to and by not sinning we have a deeper more intimate relationship with Jesus and the result of that 
is the Lord of glory. It's, it's really not that complicated. We do need a third grader to come out and explain this. You don't sin because Jesus told you not to sin. And Jesus told you not to sin because that's the path to satisfaction of your soul. And sin looks like doing things or not doing things. And here in James's story, he says, okay, let's talk about partiality. What's happening in our world is you're engaging the rich guy because of what he might be able to give to you or because you think he's cooler and ignoring the poor guy. But that's exactly what Jesus didn't do. So he brings a, a surface command about partiality and then he explains it in the story and then he winds up with a big thought and it's the gospel. Um, Verse 10, this is a deep truth. For whoever keeps the whole gospel but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you commit adultery but do not murder, you become a transgressor. And transgressor is, uh, it means to overstep, to neglect, to violate, to depart, to leave. This is the cool part that I found this week. Transgressor also means one who abandons his trust. When you sin, you have effectually abandoned your trust. Is that connecting in light of all that we've said about faith? So you have become a transgressor of the entire law. In verse 12, here comes some gospel. So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. The law of liberty, another way to say the gospel. So speak and act. Go around this world, interact with the sin and brokenness in this world as one who has been judged by the law of liberty. You have been judged by the law of liberty. You've been judged by the gospel. And what that means is, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are Jesus. God sees you in that way. And so this is the thing that motivates and creates in us how we interact and engage with this world. You, does that, you, are we connecting the, the dots here? I'm sorry, we're kind of helter-skeltered with, with the theme. This is, this is like bad classroom sermon stuff. This is not the way it's supposed to, to flow. Um, seminary professors would be okay with that, I hope. Digression is bad. Um, so speak and so act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. Engage the world with the gospel. Engage the, you've heard this, um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? We've heard that before. I think this verse, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty is do unto others as Jesus 
has done unto you. What does that do? What does that change? To do unto others as Jesus has done unto you. And then he goes on, he adds to that, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown mercy. And then the last phrase, um, my idea was to end with this this morning, and so I guess we will. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Aren't you, aren't you glad about that? Mercy triumphs over judgment. And remember, he's just said, apply the law of liberty as it's been applied to you. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I, I want to I pause just, just for a second and um, let's, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and then we're going to sit in silence and then, uh, Jeff, I'll leave it to you to come and, and play as you feel whatever. All right? Um, so let me pray and then uh, sit in some silence. Think through. Um, consider. Journal. Go sit in a corner. Go hug your spouse. Go respond. God, I thank you for this time and I thank you for scrapping my plans. But now, Father, I ask of you to engage with us, Lord. I pray for these moments. Uh, give us some time to sit in silence and consider our own brokenness or consider the brokenness around us and then allow us to hear from you and then allow us to be doers and not just hearers may we do unto others as Jesus has done unto us. I thank you that your mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank you for Jesus. Guide us now as we respond to you. God, I pray that the the silence that is coming will not be awkward, but be beneficial to our souls. God, I thank you that you are good. In Christ's name, amen.